You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. I'm sure there are a few people you've never uh, thought you'd see on here. Uh, White Jesus, Donald Trump, and probably a police officer. Well, you're wrong about one of those. And that's why I want to welcome you to the Griot Daily, the only podcast that is sitting down with Harry Dunn, the Capitol Police officer from January 6th. Uh, Today, we're going to invite Capitol Police officer and now author Harry Dunn to the uh, podcast, who is the author of the book, Standing My Ground, a Capitol Police officer's fight for accountability and good trouble after January 6th. So welcome to the podcast, Mr. Dunn. How are you you doing today? Hey, Milo. I'm glad to be on with you. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm I'm honored to be with you. I'm a big fan of your shows, and I like talking with you. Yeah, so we're going to jump on into it. I, uh, you know, read your book, uh, and I think, you know, other people should read it because it really is kind of an interesting, uh, you know, backstory or a look into the opposite perspective from January 6th, you know, looking at how it was seen from an officer's standpoint. But first, I want to ask you, what made you want to become a police officer? Well, you know, in my book, I talk about, you know, I initially didn't want to become, be a police officer. I thought I was going to be a basketball player, a football player. You know, I had aspirations of making it to the league. Um, I played in college and my, my my short-lived professional career didn't live. Um, didn't work out the way you wanted it to be. But I've always had this this inkling, and I can attribute it to my parents. This inkling in me to want to serve and help people. Um, my father is retired veteran in the Air Force, um, so I've had this duty to country and to serve people. And I've always cared about people. I, you know, I've, I've always been looked at as the uh, big brother type person. You know, made my stature in six seven. You know, so I've always been bigger than people. So I've always had the desire and the, the notion to look out for people. Um, so, you know, why not try my hand at police uh, at policing, which is the, my opinion, the ultimate act of um, community service. This is always interesting for me to hear those origin stories. Did you think of policing as community service and, like, you know, you being a black man in America, you have to ask, you know, how you came up with the idea that police to equate policing with community service. You know, so I'm fortunate, but I, you know, first of all, let's back up. I I am not going to pretend at all that there's not a problem with the police culture in America because it definitely is. And it needs to be addressed, rectified. Too many people are suffering at the hands of um, the system that needs overhauling. However, growing up, you know, I I grew up in, you know, middle-class suburban America and I never really had many, I can't, point to bad interactions I had with police, you know, growing up, you know, not saying that they didn't exist. I didn't have those interactions and I was blind to them until I started getting older and paying attention and listening to my friends' stories and the accounts that they've had. Um, so yes, I do equate it to community service, but I don't believe that, uh, I do, I, let me back up. I do believe that individuals can and have the right, every right to be skeptical when they hear somebody's equate the two community service and policing. Well, one of of the things we talk about on this podcast is, you know, the 
unintentional conflation of those two things, right? The system and individual police officers, right? Uh, you know, individual police officers are upholding a system and what, you know, the criticisms are of the system and not individual police officers, right? Like you can't criticize firemen for wetting things, right? Um, you know, or, or spraying their hoses on and ruining your couch if your house was on fire. Um, and so I, I always want to point out because people think, well, you're so critical of police that, you know, I thought you didn't like police officers. You know, I'm critical of the system, right? Like you can't get in there and make it better than the system that is around you. But I want to go move further along in your story, right? Because when you became a Capitol Police officer, you know, you talk in the book about previous protests, right? The Tea Party protests and the, uh, the you know, other bigger protests, Million Man March. Lead, going into, and I know the answer because I read the book, but going into the January 6th protests, was the feeling of you and your fellow officers different than even the previous protests that you served in and, and, and been a member of protecting the people in the Capitol at? You know, so first of all, I want to make clear that I don't, you know, I don't attempt or that never will speak for any of my other coworkers. I, I begged and pleaded with others to tell their stories because everybody has a different story from that day. So what I'm telling you is my account, my experiences, and I never, I, you know, I got criticized for saying I was speaking for all law enforcement, not speaking for myself as an individual, as an American, as a black man who happens to be a police officer in this country. So, you know, I just want to make that clear from the start, but, you know, going into it, you know, I thought it was just going to be a regular first amendment protest. And as you see, you know, with all the investigations that investigations that came out from the January 6th committee, the um, Jack Smith, uh, the juries and all the cases that have been going on, that a lot of stuff was out there that we didn't know about. We, meaning the frontline officers, um, that would have helped us been better prepared for uh, what we did encounter that day. So I do did expect a protest, but nothing to the level of what, you know, January 6th wasn't a protest. It was a riot, you know, and that's that's exactly what it was. So, no, I did not expect a riot Okay, and, and one of the things you asked in the book, so I know as an author myself, right, like when you finish the book, if you, know, you ask two important questions, like why, one, were you guys given so much equipment, um, you know, riot helmets and, and stuff like that before this when you hadn't received them in any other protest? And then you asked why, you know, there, some officers were specifically told like to put theirs, you know, at a distance and then what, what you say, I think sprint to get them if things go bad. Have you received answers to those questions? Not directly. Um, I guess one of the things that they're working on is just making sure that what happened doesn't happen again. Um, the story about, you know, the individuals sprinting to their equipment, um, that was you know, I wanted to give a platform to other individual officers who I call heroes that day, heroes and sheroes. Um, and that was a story from one of my coworkers who bravely served that day. And um, that that wasn't my experience. To, to answer your question, no, we have not been given. I have not been given an answer to that. But I do know that they are working to make sure 
that ever, those those issues were addressed in the the hearings that I I've watched. They were public. The Senate did hearings, and um, they, they had an inspector general give um recommendations, and uh, those recommendations have been addressed. But um, I don't know the reason why. But you know, if you were, you know, looking back, like having it already experienced that day. What are the changes that you would have made to keep the capital safer, to keep yourself safer and your fellows off, fellow officers safer? Man, you know, that, that's interesting. I've never been asked that before. You know, what, what we've done different, you know, luckily, <laughs> I say this luckily, but um, I'm just a rank and file officer. Like you said, I, I interact with the people. I'm not the one that's out there making the decisions, but just looking back over it all, you know, just more people, you know, how do you stop? It wasn't some like magic code word to say like go home or anything like that. What happened? How did we get the capital back under control? Um, we had more people. More people showed up. Reinforcements showed up. Help showed up. So I think if you had that to start with, then um, I, I, I can't say it wouldn't have happened. I mean, these individuals had the president of the United States tell them that they were right. Um, so, but I do know that you know, more people is what helped extinguish, extinguish that fire, so to speak. Um, so I guess that's one way to think that's what, that could have helped us from the start. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets, but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. You talk about, you know, kind of seeing a uh, uh, online a meme that was, or, or a message between some of the people who were participating in the riot, you know, explaining what they were going to do. And you kind of dismissed it. Do you think that the anticipation, like the, the experience that you do, had in other, you know, protests or gatherings or rallies at the Capitol, was the reason you dismissed that or like I want to be I want you to be honest right do you think it was the fact that it was just white people like the cream of the crop American white people like the the top line white people no, that I don't think that kind of made you I don't think that one bit we can go we can go to that, that right now no not at all um you know I think my my reaction had to do with basically what we saw what I saw in uh start year 16 in uh in November, middle of November. And, you know, I've seen all kinds of protests. I've seen the tea parties up, up there. I've seen, you know, the uh, Black Lives Matter, the Million Man March. I've seen everything. Um, but I do believe that, um, it, no, I don't think it had anything to do with that. But nobody up until that, that day had ever attempted to 
do what they did on January 6th. There, you know, there might have been officers who, you know, have pulled a hamstring or something chasing after somebody, or but the, to the level of violence and savagery that we were treated with and we were met with by these so-called patriots, um, it was be it wasn't because we we didn't we didn't take them lightly because of who they were. Um, and I, or at least I didn't. I don't like to say, you know, I don't speak for everybody else, but I had to take them lightly because of who they were. Just because who I could have never fathomed the day where the president of the United States emboldened people to go overthrow an election. Now it is up to Congress to confront this egregious assault on our democracy. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. I don't want to belabor the point, but we've seen the officers and the groups that were protecting the Capitol react differently when there were black protesters in the area, right? Um, I mean, no, I got so... to push back a little bit against that. Um, you know, and I guess I could, I can't, I can speak just to Capitol Police. I'm not talking about Metropolitan Police Department. Right. I'm talking about your service. But Black Lives Matter did come up to the Capitol, and you know, hell, we had officers that at times took knees with them in solidarity. So you know, the response is totally different. You know, I got to push back that we treated them differently. You know. We treat people given their opportunity to express their First Amendment um, right given by the Constitution. But once they cross that line and they are no longer um, participating in uh, freedom of expression, freedom of uh, speech, then they turn violent like we saw on January 6th and, you know, we have to respond accordingly. Right, right, right. And again, I'm not speaking to you specifically. I'm talking about the institution and some of those, uh, you know, agencies that were protecting the, were at the Capitol that day were also part of the Black Lives Matter uh, protest that we saw, you know, a couple months earlier. But this, the second question I have for you or the, the next question I have for you is, has this and what happened and what you experienced, has it at, in any way made you look differently at this country and, you know, the political system as a whole? You know, I used to enjoy being a police officer, even when, you know, with all the, the, the you know, I, I take it, I, I do my job honorably. You know, I treat people whether they like me or not. You know, I, I you know, people will look at me and just, you know, curse my name without even knowing me just, just because of the badge that I, that I wear and what it represents. And that's fine. You know, I, I, I don't treat anybody differently based on how they view my profession or view me. My job is to protect and serve people. And, you know, as police officers, we're servants, you know, we're public servants. But that's what we all should aim and strive to be. However, you know, after January 6th, a lot of that was stripped away from me. I don't have, I don't like it anymore. I don't find joy in it. I, I, I don't do it because I like it. Um, I'm, st I'm still here because it's, it's a necessary, it's necessary now. You know, I, I, I used to enjoy it, but now it's just, you know, I, I, it's like you have to do this. This, it, it used, I, I wanted to say it was, it was a calling, not really a calling, but it's now it's like I don't have a choice, man. You know, look, look because of my country, the country, the country is it's it's in a hell of a state right now, and you know who knows the democracy's going to hold, but at least I'm feeling like I'm doing something, some little part, like you know, protecting these members or like, like you refer to it, the institution that. It still can stand, um, and that's the thing. What a democracy is, whether we agree with individuals or not, um, everybody has a say in it. 
and um, <laughs> and to say it's not by violence, which we um, you know, protected it against on January sixth. No, so of course I have to ask if you thought like if you don't know if there's anything that could have been done on that day, then. I- how are you so confident that you are still protecting what we call democracy? How, you know, like you've seen how fragile it is. Right. And like, you know, if you are on that front line between the ripping down of democracy, like how, and we, you, you know that it could be easily trespassed, then how are you still confident that like you are the thing or that there is anything that, you know, that holds that line? I don't wait. I won't say that I'm really completely confident. Um, I do know that it takes good people doing things or doing the right thing to keep, you know, democracy afloat. You know, I always said that um, I call it Harryism, um, things that I, I like to hear or the things that caught my ear. But it, until there's nothing that can be done, there's always something that can be done. And um, I believe that I'm trying to do my part. I can't do it alone. But, um, you know, hopefully I can inspire somebody or, you know, somebody watching that will read my book or or hear something that inspires them to want to do what's do the right thing and actually believe in public service in, in the form of a police officer and do it for the right reasons to actually help people and serve their communities. Um, and that's what I'm talking about with just as a police officer. But, uh, you know, it. It was four of us, I believe, that test. Yeah, four of us initially testified in the January six hearings. Um, but what, what if, what if none of us did? Um, with that story, would the narrative of what officers have faced would that be out there, or would that just be, you know, people were allowed to make up their own narrative about what happened? And hell, they're still doing it. Even watching the tapes and footage, people are still taking their own narratives and running with what happened. And, and which is totally false about what we went through. So that's why I think it's important for individuals to continue to stand up, speak out. And like, you know, like the, the, the subtitle of my book, Get in Good Trouble, because it's, it's necessary. Do you see any parallels between like your condemnation of or like, not, not even condemnation, but you were you thinking about like what your fellow fellow officers did or or the, the lack of accountability and what a lot of black people see from the police Right. Like, you know, what happened to the leadership? Uh, Why are they not protecting us? Um, We need to examine what happened in this specific incident. And sometimes we don't get the answers, the same answers that you're looking for. Do you see any parallels in that? And does it make you think about your job differently if you do? It makes me motivated to want to do it better. And I I understand that the, the fractured trust that is put on these institutions. I understand it, you know, not just policing, but hell, look at look at Congress right now. It's it's so fractured and divided and like, should we trust it? But but it, it, what's the alternative? What's the alternative? Turning it out and doing something? I don't know what a, a healthy, reasonable alternative is. So I think it's really important for us to flood it, get have individuals get involved and get active, good, like-minded people. Those, that's, you know, that's what a democracy is. And, you know, maybe I'm just this eternal optimist, but, you know, hope is the only thing that we have that keeps us going, man. I don't want to ever feel like, you know, I, get, I feel like I'm defeated, but never to the point where I want to give up, you know, and, and it may be completely asinine. Somebody looking at me like, yeah, this breath delusional. 
Maybe, man. But you know what? It keeps me getting up and doing that. The, the thought that I'm helping somebody and doing what's right. If, if I influence or inspire one person, then it was worth it. Hell, even if I don't inspire nobody, you know, telling my story and continue to do, it helps me feel good about myself. Like I did. I know I'm doing the right thing. And I would argue, like, I guess everyone feels like that. I think it is your belief in what you are, in the thing that you are protecting. What do you hope that when, like, when someone finishes this book, what do you hope they take away from that? So much, <laughs> you know, I talk about a lot, you know, it's, I immediately thought about my mental health chapter. Um, and you know, how important it is for people to, um, embrace that it's okay to not be okay. But I think I want to take that answer this question a little bit different than that. You know, I truly value mental health. It's especially amongst people of color, especially black men. Um, you know, fellas, it's all right, you know, to not be okay. Continue to uphold each other and check on each other. But as far as don't be quiet when you got a story to tell, stand up, and tell your story. You know, people are going to push back against you. Um, look at look at look at it like war. You know, and you know, the, who gets to rewrite history? The winner of war is the person who tells. You know, whose story gets told in history. Um, but if we are willing to not even stand up and fight and have our story told at all. You know, we don't have a chance at all. Uh, it's important to tell, to deflate the narrative on the other side that what happened on January 6th was legitimate political discourse. You know, how dare you? How dare you use those words when there were officers who were savagely and violently beaten, when there were people that were seeking out to, to hang the vice president, to kill Nancy Pelosi. You know, I refuse to let that narrative be... I, I, I hijack the truth. We cannot let the truth be hijacked. And I will continue to tell my story and fight for the people who were responsible for the failures of that day, whether that be a chief of police, whether that be a congressman, whether that be the president of the United States. Any and everybody who had anything to do with the failures of that day needs to be held accountable. And that's why I am, have been adamant about not shutting up about it, even close to three years later. Well, I want to thank you for coming. I got one last question, man. Like, like about 15 years ago, um, I was, I know you're not part of the Pentagon police, but I've made a wrong turn on, like, a, on an exit and got off at the Pentagon. And they searched my car and uh, told me they had to, uh, and I, when I left, I realized, like, I had a bunch of liquor in the back, uh, in the trunk, because I was planning a party. I was uh, on base planning a party. And one of my bottles of Henny was missing, man. So you think you can help hey, yo, me get my bottle of Henny back? Man. <laughs> stop playing, I'm man. For real, man. I'm for real, man. I'm for real, man. Yeah, man, they put took the, uh, one of the big bottles, one of the $64 bottles, too, man. Oh, so, man. Uh, yeah, I want you to look into that, man. I, hey, I want you, you know, to look boy, into man, that, but, man. Why you know, I'll make sure we, we rectify that problem, man. We can have a drink together if you be up for it, man. I'll make sure that that happens. <laughs> definitely, man. Definitely, man. Um, and, 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 you know, while you're doing that, I'll be telling people to not to forget to tune into the Griot, to download that Griot app, to uh, tell a friend about this podcast. And, uh, you know, one of the things we do on every episode is I usually leave the podcast or in the podcast with the black saying, but you know, when I have a guest, I give them a chance to give us their favorite black saying. Something your mama used to say, your grandma, or, you know, your granddaddy used to say all the time that you've only heard black people say. So 
Mr. Dunn, tell us your your favorite black saying. <laughs> the first one that just came to mind is obviously stop all that crying before I give you something to cry about. <laughs> That's perfect. I, you should have told that to the January 6th people. But I want to thank you for coming. I, I want to thank you for coming, man. I want to thank everybody for watching. Remember to tell your friends, download that Grio app, and subscribe to this podcast. And remember, if you were there on January 6th, stop all that crying for America gives you something to really cry about. We'll see you next time on the Grio Daily. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review, download the Geo app, subscribe to the show, and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegrio.com.